That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show Is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnekin. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Show is All About You. Thanks so much for taking the next hour to spend with me, whether you're listening live on Kixie 880 here in Seattle or you're listening to this as a podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. If you're going to miss any of this episode or any of the other episodes of the show, you can find this as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks in advance to uh, for subscribing and for leaving me a review. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to know more about me, you can check out my website, wordsbyjdk.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Look up my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N, and you'll find me rather easily. Would love to chat with you, hear what you have to say about the show, get some ideas for further shows, just have conversation, that type of thing. Look forward to chatting with you. Special thanks right here at the outset to this show's longtime sponsor, Airway Science for Kids. Airway Science for Kids is a nonprofit based down in the Portland, Oregon area that provides life and career pathway opportunities for underserved youth through the exploration of aerospace careers, of which there are hundreds. But they do so in a way that empowers each of these kids to learn better self-advocacy and better ways to connect with themselves, their families, and their communities. If you'd like to know more about the amazing work that they do there, please check out their website at airside.org. And it's relaunched recently, so if you have looked at it, in the past, go look again because it's uh, pretty souped up at this point. AIRSCI.org. So thanks to them, and you'll hear more about them during the break. All right. So jumping into another episode today, of course, I break it into three segments every week. I talk about the news at the front end, I talk about a story, a selected story right in the middle, and a catch up on where I am at in whatever way I decide to define that on any given day uh, at the end. But today, I've got some special help that will be calling in to help me with all three segments. But first, let's get caught up on last week's news in the segment I call, What in the World is Going On? But I think what Zelensky looked at was, look, if we lose Bakhmut, it plays into Putin's narrative that the Russians are winning. And oh, by the way, it will, you know, it will bolster Russian morale. It will probably unduly affect Ukrainian morale. It could also affect support from Europe and the United States. So while it is just a small tactical piece of ground, I think it has huge strategic implications. I think Zelensky understood this, and and I think it was the right call. That is retired American Admiral William McRaven talking about the importance of Bakhmut, which a lot of people have said uh, doesn't really, when you take a look at a map of Ukraine, doesn't seem to make a whole lot of tactical sense as why both sides have fought so hard over it for so long that it has now become the biggest battle of the entire war. But the larger point that the admiral was making there is a true one. Because the larger tactical part of this war is now blended into the strategic and the political and the economic, whoever holds Bakhmut is going to win a major perception piece of this war. And it's a reason why Ukraine has decided to hold on to it so tightly for all the reasons that the admiral just listed. And so much like the rest of the war, Bakhmut is grinding on and on and on. Recently, actually over the weekend, 
Um, the Wag the Wagner or Wagner, I don't even know sure how they pronounce it. The Wagner uh, special military group that uh, the that fights on behalf of Putin put their own flag up over the captured center of the city and not the Russian flag. They have their own splits going on with the Russian government right now. And also over the weekend, a major uh, pro-Russian military blogger was killed in a bomb blast in St. Petersburg that, of course, the Russians are blaming on the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians are pointing to the fact that if anybody has a track record of blowing up people who have criticized the Kremlin, it's the Federal Security Bureau, the Russians themselves. Uh, it could be anyone. There's probably no way to know one way or the other. Uh, but certainly... Uh, it indicates that as this war continues to move now past its 400th day, as it moves on, knowing exactly what's happening, who's responsible at any given time is becoming harder and harder and harder. And therefore, all the reasons to continue to invest in the war, no matter whose side somebody might be on, it's requiring more and more acts of faith, commitment, a daily reassessment than ever before. This thing is going to continue to grind out. That long-promised Ukrainian spring offensive has still yet to materialize for reasons that aren't necessarily clear. And what is clear is despite Russia's big uh, mobilization earlier in the year of 300,000 men, that doesn't seem to be moving the needle either, which begs the question, when does Putin go to full mobilization? He did eliminate the age limit, though, on drafts uh, last week as well. So any male of any age now in Russia can be drafted. Who knows how that's going to land uh, in Russia in the long term, but it is worth keeping an eye on as that war continues to do one thing more than anything else, kill a whole bunch of people for no good reason. All right, closer to home, tomorrow's going to be a big day whether we want to admit it or not. Hush money payments themselves, not a crime. Falsifying business records to conceal hush money payments, typically a misdemeanor, but can be a felony if it's done in furtherance of or to conceal another crime. That other crime could be a federal campaign finance violation, a state election infraction, or a tax crime. And whatever the charges are may not be the only ones Trump faces, since there are other criminal investigations into election tampering, January 6th, and his handling of classified documents. Much, of course, is being made of the fact that uh, former President Trump will be the first former president to ever be indicted for a crime in American history. And, yeah, that's certainly true. My initial reaction to all of this, though, is that everybody should probably slow their roll a little bit, no matter what side of, of the political alley you might be on. There's a bit of a rush to judgment in general going on with this. There are 30 counts of this indictment, roughly 30 counts. We don't know what they are yet. They'll be unsealed tomorrow at the latest, so we will have an idea. But those rushing to defend the former president would be wise to remember that 30 counts is really significant. That's a big number. right? And all of those could be a part of being a, a part and parcel of other crimes, which so if you're going to defend the former president, you might be you might be better aware of the fact that you might be defending something that might come out as indefensible. For those who are really excited about this, it's worth remembering a few things. This case can go a lot of different directions. First of all, no matter what happens in it, it does not preclude Donald Trump from running for the White House again. Only impeachment can do that. And he got off on impeachment twice, right, as president. So he can still run for president. The fact is there could he could plea out if he chose to. I think that's unlikely. He also uh, could be found not guilty in all of this. That's why this is a court of law, right? So the knee-jerk reactions to all of this, whether people are calling it a witch hunt or people are celebrating it, all seems a bit premature. It is going to fit into today's larger discussion. Uh, 
about expectations <laughs> and what we expect and what we want to have happen. Things very rarely play out the way we think they will, hope they will, uh, for better or for worse. So it's worth keeping that in mind. Tomorrow shall be interesting, to, to say the least, and I'll probably have a lot to say about it on next week's show. All right, and final piece for what's going on in the world, big part of my world, I saw something really cool the other night that I know my guest today is going to laugh about as well. Ramirez, he's 0 for 2. Here's the payoff. Swing and a miss, and he corkscrews Jose Ramirez into the earth. He's all the way down to the core. Ramirez does a full 360, breaks an ankle, maybe two. <laughs> uh, last Thursday night was opening night here in Seattle for the Seattle Mariners, and I was at the game right behind home plate, about 30 rows up, and I saw that pitcher, Matt Brash, who people have noted has one of the nastiest uh, slider pitches uh, maybe in Major League history, struck out one of the best players in all of baseball, Jose Ramirez. Um, and it, it fooled him so badly that Ramirez swung and lost his balance and fell right on his backside, right on home plate. And that was what the reaction was there. It was, <laughs> to be honest, I saw it happen right in front of me, and it was, it was a nasty pitch looking from the other direction. I don't know how human beings make, make pitches do that. But nevertheless, it was a really fun moment, a really fun game. The Mariners won um, on, a, on a very late inning uh, three-run home run. It was a sold-out game. We're coming off of the first playoff appearance for the team in 21 years. So the energy was super high. And then the Mariners promptly went on and lost the next three games. <laughs> that's why I'm putting it out there because that's where I'm going to kick off today. Uh, and uh, with a story, um, or really maybe a series of stories, we'll see where it goes, um, about expectations. And if it's going to be around baseball, which I love to talk about anyway, there's one person in the world that I want to bring on who is going to talk with me about baseball. And that is my guest uh, for the remainder of the show today. You've heard him on this show before. He's definitely a friend of the show. He's the host of the Athletica Obscura podcast, available wherever you can get your podcasts. And going on this summer, he and I will have been close friends slash brothers for 30 years. I mean, he's shaking his head. Seth Mormon is my guest today. Seth, how are you, my friend? Uh, I'm doing well. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> first-time and second-time contributor, I think. Yeah, happy to be here. Um, that is absolutely true. Um, uh, it's hard to believe it's been 30 years. Um, but one of the things that has gone on for these 30 years um, is, is we have an expectation of uh, regular communication that revolves around sporting events. And especially when um, the season started, with baseball season started, uh, we knew it was going to be ramping up. And, uh, and that's exactly what happened. In fact, we spent a whole day uh, imagining what would happen if we uh, expanded the major leagues by two teams, <laughs> uh, got rid of uh, American League and National League, realigned everything. In fact, I came up with a whole new playoff uh uh, procedure, everything like that. We've had a great time together, JD. It's yes, been awesome. Thanks for have. having me. Yeah, and thanks for thanks for calling in all the way from your home in Southern California. I assume that's where you are right now. Um, that is. I'm not on the road. I'm I'm at home, sitting at my dining room table. Awesome, awesome. Well, and just so you know, everybody out there, um, if you care about such things, I am a Seattle Mariner fan. Seth is a Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim fan. Um, and so, but actually, well, to to be fair, they dropped the of Anaheim a long time. Oh, ago. did they? They're okay. Just, yeah, they just went with Los, straight up Los Angeles. Okay, so. so Los Angeles Angels. And and we managed to get along despite that, which is which is good. Um, it's a rivalry, those two teams, definitely. 
Um, but uh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, but we 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 predate a lot of that stuff anyway. All right, well, Seth, thanks for joining me. But you know, I know that there's something before we jump into today's stories about expectations in baseball that you reminded me of right after last week's show, and you wanted to come on and make sure everybody heard about this. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I am a longtime listener of the show. I never miss one. Uh, but you were talking about the, all the Eric's that uh, seem to surround you uh, mm-hmm. in, for good or for bad. Uh, and I knew you were going to be telling this one story of a particular Eric that I knew that you had an encounter with. So you talk about all of your different Eric's and lo and behold, you forgot an important Eric. <laughs> and I wanted to remind you of a really important Eric in your life um, who who knows where this Eric is today. Uh, there's no way that we know him. But I want to take us back to uh, to Arrowhead Lutheran Camp where we spent some <laughs> uh, some amazing years as summer camp counselors. And and what year would you guess this would be, J.D.? Would this uh, be like it was, 19? It was, it, if it's who you're thinking, if it's who I think you're talking about, it's 95. 1995. It was in my 1995. Third you and I have been friends a couple uh, years by that point. There was a camper in your mountain biking camp named Eric. I don't remember his last name. Uh, he was the youngest in your group, mm-hmm. and he probably was a little too young to be in your mountain biking group. But we would send you off uh, mountain biking uh, every single day. And Eric, um, how shall I say this? Tested your patience? Would that be an, an easy way to say <laughs> yes. it? Um, he was he too. Was he the... was too weak to ride uphill. He wasn't strong enough to ride uphill very far, and he was pretty timid about riding downhill. So he could pretty much go straight on the bike, which isn't really good when you're mountain biking, because very rarely are you not going up or down when you're mountain biking. So we uh, we send you and the whole crew um, out uh, to to do some mountain biking, and I was going to be picking you up at the bottom of the trail with a with a van and a and a and a big big trailer to take everything back to camp. And and uh, by the time I get to the bottom of the trail, everybody was there, the other counselors, everybody else, but JDU and Eric were not there, and wondering what was happening and what was happening. We're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting, and as you're coming down the trail. I can still see your face, and I knew <laughs> things were not well. Things were not going well with Eric. This is not a positive Eric story. This is an Eric who, how shall I say, uh, tested your patience, tested you as an individual, tested the limits of of where you might go with another human being. Uh-huh. Um, was all that probably correct? Oh, yeah. Me? Yeah. By the time you saw me, I was... I was uh, I worked with kids for a long time. I enjoyed being a summer counselor. I did not enjoy that whole proceeding. I was furious at this kid by this point, and that very rarely happened. So, so why don't you tell the, the story really quickly about your adventures with Eric? That'd be a, a good title of the of the, of the book, right? Adventures <laughs> with would. Eric. It would. You could, this is one ch- one chapter of the Adventures with Eric and JDK Winnikin, uh, coming out on on uh, JDK Winnikin Overproductions in 2027. I love how you're selling this. This is great. All right. Well, um, on this mountain biking trip, we were on the backside of a mountain, leading down into the the Mojave Desert, and so it was a very dry side of the mountain, and that meant. A lot of switchbacks, a lot of rocks, and out that way, there's a lot of it's hot. There's a lot of there's a lot of dust, um, a lot of hills, and a lot of sharp things, cacti, you know, shrubberies, that type of thing. There's also rattlesnakes out there, and so we're riding along, and all the kids in this camp, just the second we started, just blew away from from us. And I I stayed back, knowing Eric was probably going to take longer. I stayed at the back. The, the, my other co-counselor took the other group forward and rode with them. 
I stayed back with Eric, so we were going to go at Eric's pace. I knew that was going to happen. What I did not know was what we were going to fall roughly about 30 minutes behind uh, by the time we were done. And there were all these switchbacks. And Eric, because he was afraid to go uphill and afraid to go downhill, he on these switchbacks, he would just stop if there was a hill either going down or up. And so I'd turn around, I'd come in behind him, and he would be stopped right in the middle of the trail. Long story short, he kept doing this. He sent me over the handlebars three times. And over the handlebars, not just onto the trail, but onto the side of the trail, which means I was sliding down among cacti, getting cut up by that, hearing rattlesnake rattles around me. This happened three different times. And then right in the middle of the trail at one point, I came around the corner. He was further ahead of me than I wanted him to be. I came around the corner, and between me and him, a giant rattlesnake was slithering across the road. And I, just out of, just out of sheer shock and surprise and reflex, kicked the back tire out and kicked dirt all over this rattlesnake. And big shock, the rattlesnake didn't like it and coiled up on me, three high, three coils high and hissing, ready to go, rattle going. I was about seven feet away from him. I'm like, I could get bit. I had to pick my leg up slowly over the bike. Shout out for Eric to stop, but tell him not to come back up so he didn't see the rattlesnake. And I carried my bike slowly back away from the snake until the snake just finally took off. So by the time, Seth, you saw me, as I recall, my shirt was pretty much ripped right off of my body. I had cuts all over my chest and my back and my legs and my arms. I was sweaty. I was hot. I was angry. I was afraid. <laughs> and I didn't want to kill that kid, <laughs> but I was so furious beyond belief by the time I got to you that I was at my wit's end. Now, now, granted, this is about the same time that you had your big blow up with Eric, the roommate. Yeah, same. Um, as well. Yeah, one summer, one summer divided. Yep. So, and I didn't know that story uh, going uh, into, you know, this encounter in, in summer camp, but I, I knew at the moment um, that you had had enough and that if, if you would have left to your own devices, Eric's probably not making it back to camp that day. Um, and, not literally, and, anybody. <laughs> and no, no, not, not literally, not literally, but, but the, you what needed to happen in that moment was was, um, was a moment of grace. Is mm. really what needed to happen. Yeah. You had you had to, to tie this into what we're going to be talking about today. You had a particular expectation going into that particular ride, yep. and that expectation was not met at all. <laughs> and in fact, you couldn't have even tampered your your expectations. You had to just throw them out the window, and it kind of turned into a little bit of survival. You get to the bottom of the trail, and you know I could have said, "Well, you need to suck it up." And you need to figure out what you're going to be doing with this. But I, I realized in that moment, that's not what you needed. You needed you needed some grace, and you needed a reset. And I think I, I think I remember exactly what I said to you. As I said, you have the rest of the night off. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> yes. You and did. we will cover for you um, because you needed the night off, and you needed to reset. You needed to have a little bit of uh, of, of grounding. And then you needed to come back at it uh, with renewed um, energy, knowing that the best thing then for Eric is also not to have his counselor be upset at him yep. and to yell at him. Yep. Eric also needed some grace yep. in the moment. Yep. And I think um, in that moment, I, I can't say, you know, I pat myself on the back for this particular thing that was just by nature, I knew what needed to happen. And I think in that moment, that kind of solidified partially uh, the continued relationship that you and I have just mm -hmm. as friendship that yeah. we were able to, uh, um, I was able to, to reach you in a moment of, of desperation, I would almost say, 
with, with some grace and with some love so that you could do the same to someone else. And I think that was maybe really the key there. If we take a lesson from this particular, Eric, and if I can project this lesson on you, and you're going to have to tell me if I'm right or wrong, is that at, at, at sometimes we need other people to intervene in these moments so then we can be available and ready for someone else. Oh, yeah. And 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 I think I, I hopefully I did that for you. Oh, yeah. uh, and and that lesson from Eric um, we talk about it often when we start coming up with camp stories and we're oh, with yeah. friends from camp that that story gets told a lot because I think it was it was formative for who you were and who you are today. Agreed. You know, it, it gave me the chance. Um, I remember coming down that hill and, and I came up to you and you saw how shredded I was. Didn't know the story. All the kids cheered for Eric. I mean, I got to give those boys credit. They they cheered for him. Right. They didn't separate him. They didn't they didn't beat him down. They didn't make fun of him. They cheered that he finished. And I remember saying to you, is he out of is he out of my eyesight? Can can he not see me right now? And you said, yep. And I picked up my bike. and I threw it down. I was so mad. And what you're exactly right, because what I needed was the space to remember that he was simply just being a kid. He was being a kid and we knew he was probably a little young to be in that camp. We had, and, and maybe not quite strong enough and skilled enough, but he really wanted to be in that camp. And that's why he was there. It gave me the space I needed to remember that uh, in all of that. I, I mean, I'm glad I never had him as a camper again, but nevertheless, you know, that's true. All right. So that's a great story. So what, let's take a break, Seth. And when we come back, let's talk about that expectation. Let's talk about baseball in that sense. Cause I think in that sense, you and I believe baseball is a metaphor for life and uh, maybe we can kind of, give some people a glimpse of what that looks like. So stick around, everybody. Come on back. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show is all about you because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. Having a show today about expectations through the lens of baseball with my longtime friend and uh, fellow baseball aficionado, Seth Mormon, calling in from Southern California. Uh, and Seth, I played, uh, I played the, the Matt Brash wipeout strikeout of Jose Ramirez at the top. Of the oh, show. that was amazing. Did you see that? Did you? Yes. Yeah. yeah it blew up the internet on Friday. Yeah. It blew up the internet on Friday, didn't it? Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. It was nuts. So, well, well, Seth and I have been, have been baseball fans our whole lives, even before we, we met each other. And Seth, you and I have been to a lot of different games in different places. Um, and one of the things that I, I kind of hinted at, at the top of the show with, you know, my own opening day experience was great. It was a sellout. I was behind home plate. It was a great game. Mariners played well. They won. Everybody's euphoric in the city. The The radio the next day, people were excited. They're like, oh, this was the greatest thing. People were calling in saying this was my favorite moment. And then as baseball tends to do, like life, <laughs> some different things happened. The Mariners proceeded to lose all three remaining games against Cleveland over the weekend. And of course, this morning, what do you think the radio reaction is here in Seattle? It's, oh, this isn't good. This isn't good. You got a guy on the, on the injured list, all this kind of stuff. 
to me, my initial reaction to that is, well, depending on what your expectation was, did you all forget that there's 162 of these games to play? Let's start there. How was your opening day experience, by the way? Well, I mean, first of all, I really enjoyed what Major League Baseball has done to make baseball a little bit more accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it wasn't inaccessible, but I think it was it was uh, having an identity crisis that people weren't uh, wanting to watch Major League Baseball just because it it took so long and and all you know the 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 purists were saying, oh, you know, you just don't understand the game. There's all these things. You know what? Ask my wife. She just says it's just plain boring. Mm-hmm. It's boring. Mm-hmm. Um, with the pitch clock, with uh, the bigger bases, with a couple of other things, I think it, it made it a lot more uh, watchable. Uh, JD, you and I were texting during opening uh, the opening day on Thursday, uh, and those games were going quick. They were. They were going really quick. I was they watching were. the Angels playing in Oakland. I was watching it, uh, streaming it online while you were there in person. And um, if you know anything about the the Angels over the last couple of years, they have had the two, arguably the two best players in baseball oh, yeah. on the same team yeah. between Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Um, uh, Shohei Otani is doing things never, ever seen before on a baseball mm-hmm. uh, diamond. Yep. You know, some people compare him a little bit to Babe Ruth, but that's a little bit unfair because Ruth did his pitching early and it is hitting later. Yep. And Otani's doing them both at the same time. But the thing that has been uh, so difficult as an Angels fan is that um, they can't seem to string together wins and they don't have solid uh, starting pitching. Their bullpen has been in shambles for years. Yep. And it was always uh, the thing that Otani and Trout will get their hits, they'll get their home runs, but the Angels uh, will lose. In fact, there was this uh, meme that was going around. You know, every time I read the newspaper about the Angels, it was Shohei Otani does something never seen before. Mike Trout hits a three run home run and, and has an amazing catch, and uh, they lose to Detroit four to two. Right. <laughs> right. Because they, 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 that was just the normal thing for the Angels. And on Thursday night, it was the same thing. Otani pitches opening day starter two years in a row. He pitches six innings, uh, two walks, 10 Ks, doesn't give up a run, and gets a no decision. Because And yeah. then the Angels end up losing the game because the bullpen, the bullpen doesn't imploded. hold it together. So, of yep. course... Of course, everybody here is the opposite. They're just completely apoplectic. You know, they, here it's the same old angels, the two mm. best uh, players in the game. And so where are the expectations? At? And of course, the ex- expectations are, well, we've got to be better than last year, right? We have to be better than last year. And after the first game, it was all downhill. Now, the Angels did play two more games over the weekend in Oakland. Uh, On Saturday, they get an 11-run second inning. Uh, They win 13-2, to I think it was. And then yesterday, um, they get a three-run home run from uh, their rookie catcher. And then uh, Trout hits a home run. Otani hits a home run. So they go back-to-back. They end up winning pretty comfortably. And so now it's like, oh, uh, now I think we're going to be okay. You know, <laughs> it's just funny how baseball goes. Now, of course, my angels are there in Seattle tonight That's to right. start a, um, a series and uh, we'll see what's, what's going to happen. It doesn't, it's not too often JD that you and I are both watching the same baseball game each yeah. night, but that'll be happening the next couple of nights for the next couple of games. But I think the expectation uh, of the baseball season is pretty amazing. It's, I think every baseball broadcast began hey it's a new season new expectations anything for last year is done we got mm-hmm. uh, the year ahead of us we have all these things to particularly uh, accomplish 
And then what's going to happen? I mean, you could get all crazy <laughs> like they did in Seattle yep. over the next couple of days, doom and gloom, or you could be like there in, in LA, everything is great. And then of course, what happens in the same division, the Rangers sweep over yep. uh, the uh, the weekend, Yep. you know? So it's an interesting thing. And, and the metaphor with baseball for life um, is really, is really interesting. And JD, you and I have spent parts, a lot of parts of our lives with baseball. Um, I, I could say when we were younger, going to high desert Mavericks games. Oh yeah. Um, minor league ball out in the, the desert. Best. Yeah. Minor league, ball minor league, great. minor league ball being great. We have seen games together in, in Pittsburgh, in Chicago, in Seattle, here in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. um, Colorado and in Denver in Colorado. Oh, we were sat in the rock pile. Out yeah. There, right? in Denver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got a, got a lot of sun that day. We saw Jamie Moyer pitch. You know, oh, he must God, have been yeah. 43, 44 years old. And throwing about just... the same miles per hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, he could he could run it up to about 79 on his fastball, right? <laughs> yeah, we've seen a lot. But, uh, but I think I think those those expectations of going to a baseball game, at least with you. I know there's going to be great conversation. We're going to be talking about um, everything under the sun, a lot of it having to do with baseball or with sports or just life in general. And I, and I think um, if you go into uh, any anything with too high of expectations, you're going to end up being disappointed. And, and I think maybe that's kind of the, the lesson here. And, and, and vacillating wildly from one extreme to the other is also not healthy. No. To no. say, we're going to win the World Series. Oh, <laughs> we're not going to, we're going to lose 120 games this year. You know, that can be, that can be difficult uh, well, to go either side of that. Well, and you know, the thing, the thing that I always notice about those things, one way or the other, whether it's like the way things are in Seattle currently or the way they are in LA currently, you know, up or down is that, those, those things are responses to what they think the latest thing means. It's not even based in the reality of what just happened, right? And the players themselves have a better grasp of this, right? The, big, the old adage in baseball is you're not supposed to get too high when you win and don't get too low when you lose because you're playing the next day, you know? And um, if, you're, if you are playing the next day, it means you kind of got to put the previous day out, right? And there's 162 games. And everybody says you're going you're gonna to lose a third of them, you're going to win a third of them, and it's that final third in between that determines whether you're going to be able to make the playoffs or not, which means you're going to lose at least 60, 70 games on average, even if you're one of the best teams in baseball. And so losing is a part of the package. And so to me, what I always find is that people's reactions have everything to do with the story they're making up about what it might mean rather than recognizing is it's kind of done every day in that sense in baseball can be a new opening day because it is for that day, right? It might have more to say, you know, in six, in four months, it's going to matter differently what a game in Pittsburgh looks like versus a game in Houston, for example, or in New York at Yankee stadium. Chances are, you know, Yankees and the Astros and others are going to be playing better than everybody else. However, we don't know that. Right. And so to me, that's why I always enjoy baseball so much and talking about it with you in this context, because it does show us that our own state of okayness depends entirely on what we're expecting and what stories we tell us, tell ourselves when things don't go according to quote unquote expectation or plan. That's what I love about baseball. It gives us a chance to start again every day. 
And, you know, it is cliche when the, uh, the players say, well, we got to turn the page on this one. We can't worry about what happened the day before, which is all absolutely true. The fans don't always listen to that. Or the talk show hosts, the talk show hosts don't listen to that either. Um, but there, but there is that mentality of, of every day is opening day. Every day is something new. Every day can be, is not always dependent on, on what happened uh, in the past. It does remind me, not to do a plug for another podcast called Breaking Up With Our BS that happens, uh, <laughs> uh, that somebody I know hosts. Um, but, but these are some of those stories that we convince ourselves that can, that can spiral us downward, that yep. these expectations can become too high. Whether is it, is it a romantic expectation, whether it is a, a social expectation, whether it is a sports expectation, whatever it might be, these expectations at times need to be revisited they need to be tempered. They need to be uh, things that, that come up over and over again. Because if you continue to have that expectation so high, you're always going to be disappointed, especially in baseball. I mean, the best hitters in baseball are failing two-thirds of the time yep. if they're amazing. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. and, and, and so, so if, if you take that into life, and you say, you know, if Mike Trout is really only going to be hitting, uh, getting a hit, getting on base 30% of the time, you know, that means how much of the other percent of the time is he getting out or striking out, <laughs> flying out, grind, yep. grounding out, yep. quote unquote, failing? What is the expectation there? Exactly. Exactly. And the players themselves have a different understanding of what that means. And it's, it's very true. And, it's, and for me, with 21 years of futility for the Mariners that we just kind of came off of, if, if we count as success as making the playoffs, I had to really learn to not just shift my expectations, but to really find the value in baseball in some different places because it wasn't going to be guaranteed or even likely that the Mariners were going to compete for the division. You always hope, right? You always hope they're going to make the playoffs. But what I had to find was just the enjoyment in the game. And, and over the last, you know, particularly over the last 10 years or so, I've actively intentionally given up on things like hating other baseball teams, right? Jerry Seinfeld has that old joke about you're not rooting for a baseball team. You're rooting for their laundry, right? Whatever the name says on the front, right? And I took that to heart because I was, I was getting way too wrapped up in the success or failures of, of the Mariners uh, once upon a time. And there was a lot of failure, <laughs> a lot for a long period of time. So where, did I, where do I find it? In the joy and going to the park, being in that environment, talking to people who you know around you it, that if you were to talk about to them about anything other than baseball in that moment, you're going to find things that you disagree about, but you're not there for that. You're there to watch baseball. You're there to enjoy the park. You're there to enjoy everything that goes with it. I found a lot of fun and identification and connection uh, in those, in those things in baseball and rooting for the team was important. But as you and I have experienced, Sometimes going to games and seeing how fan bases are and seeing how people interact and seeing something new together. You know, you and I go into ballparks, to a new ballpark for the first time. That's the kind of stuff that cements connection and friendships that can last 30 years or three years or however long. To me, the expectations for me had to become more about the process of going to games and being a part of rather than rooting interest. I don't know if I'm saying that clearly or not to you, Seth. No, I, I, I'm right tracking with you. I mean, for, for five seasons, I worked for the Angels in Anaheim. I was game day staff. Um, I worked as an usher. And we would always joke when we would walk into the stadium before they would open up the gates, we'd say, hey, we want to play eight and a half innings today. We want to play eight and a half innings. 
you know, and why did we say eight and a half innings? Because that means the angels are going to win that they didn't have to play the bottom of the ninth. Right. And that was kind of our fun expectation that we would have each and every day. And, and if it didn't happen, Hey, then it didn't happen. And, and we were okay with that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, when you think about it's sports in general, but certainly in baseball, like you said, on Thursday, opening day, everybody's saying it's a new season. Everybody's excited. At the end of the season, there's 30 teams in Major League Baseball. There's only fans of one team that's going to be happy at the end. <laughs> and that's how it is every single year. And if we were to say evenly across the board that a different team was going to win the World Series every year for 30 years, it still means that whoever won it the first time has to wait another 30 to win it again, which means 29 years of ultimate disappointment if you hang your sense of happiness or uh, love of the game on whether you're winning or not you know and so to me I mean I, it took me it took me a little while to unravel from all of that and to appreciate the game for the game's sake and what it gave me on a personal level rather than on a rooting interest level yeah I mean as an Angels fan you know we we've made the World Series well more than the Mariners but I won't rub that in um <laughs> But but it has only been once, you right. know, and and that was that was kind of a fluke of a year. That was the same year that the that the A's were going crazy, where they won was at 20, 22 games in oh, a row. Oh yeah. Um, and and that that season of of two thousand and two was pretty magical. And I happened to be in the ballpark for all of those games, um, mm -hmm. all those home games. I didn't miss a single game that season uh, working. Right. Um, and and it was it was amazing. Um. And and to be honest with you, there were times where I would I would take my work home with me, even though it was my part time job. You know, I would be listening to the post game call in show, and every single person calling in the it was just grousing and complaining and lamenting about mm -hmm. this, that, or the other. And even when they did well, it was like they're always waiting. As an Angel fan, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Always, <laughs> always, something's always going to go wrong. Oh, something's it sounds like Mariners so, fans. <laughs> so, so it was just that one year where it just, that's that other shoe never dropped. I mean, it was just one thing after another, after another, yeah. and that's what made it magical. And that's what brings me back year after year after year to baseball is that there's something magical about it. Um, and yeah, right. You don't want the highs to be too high. You don't want the lows to be too low. So you kind of give that evened out. And then how does that inform my day to day living? Like I'm not waiting uh, on pins and needles for uh, the game tonight, but it's going to be great. Yeah, absolutely. And right when we come back from our second break, let's pick up right there because I want to talk about, you know, from your example of their, their lone World Series win, something that I think is important for us to remember. So stick around, everybody. We'll be back in just a minute. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, 
Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace for all. All right, welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. Having a great discussion about expectations through the lens of baseball today. Uh, a shared passion and love with uh, my buddy Seth Mormon, who's calling in from Southern California to talk about it. And Seth, before the break, I mentioned that one of the things I think was so important about what you just said about the magic of that 2002 season for the Angels when they won the World Series, when the other shoe didn't drop, he called it magic, right? And I think that's important. Because the magic moments, for them to be magic, they can't be everyday moments. They can't be things that happen all the time. Because if they did happen all the time, they would cease to feel magical, right? You know, there's other metaphors we could choose. If you went to Disneyland every single day for your entire life, at some point, it's going to seem less magical (laughs) than it was if you've gone once or twice every other year or so. And to me, I think that's that's the big thing. In order for big memories, big magic moments like that to happen. There have to be moments where there isn't that. It's, it's, it goes back to something that we hear all the time. In order to appreciate the highs, you have to go through the lows. In order to, in order to feel the great victories, you have to know what it's like to go through losses, right? And that's in, in anything, right? We feel more connection and love and dedication to the people in our lives after we lose somebody who's really close to us. You and I, a number of years ago, when our buddy Matt uh, passed away, real suddenly, um, when we connected on that, the one thing we said is we cannot just assume anymore, like we did, right, that we can just catch up with our friends at some point in the future, you know, even if a few years goes by. And that led to you and I committing to every single year, getting together at least once to do a sports weekend of some sort. And we haven't missed it yet. I think we may, maybe we missed one year because of the COVID pandemic. Maybe we missed one, but yeah, but, but we haven't. And that was something that, I mean, talk about life and sports coming together for two of us in a very visceral way, right? We decided we have to make sure we intentionally connect with one another once a year in person. And what's the one thing that we really, really love to do go to sporting events together. And that to me, I think is, um, maybe one of the best examples of what we're talking about. We, we were disabused of the expectation or the notion or the assumption that we would just have time in the future to connect with our friends. And instead, when we lost Matt, it was, let's not let that too much time go by before we do that. And we've stuck with that now going on eight years. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, think, um, I think one of the things that I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about is the expectations, I think, that unduly uh, are uh, foisted upon some people mm. because of social media pressures. That's true. Um, people uh, have this expectation because of social media that they need to have this perfect picture or or show to people these these perfect relationships or these wonderful things, and then all of a sudden the the event 
um, is no longer the event. The event now becomes me trying to capture this event via my phone and share it with other people mm -hmm. for whatever reason that might be, whether that is selfish or whether that is because I need to get um, uh, people to, to interact with me because I'm feeling like I'm disconnected from people, whatever the, that might be. Mm -hmm. Or I need content, and, and, right. Yeah, right, exactly. And and we have we're now we society when I say that is starting to live moments through the lens of their phone or a camera if you if you want to say old school and we we are no longer living in the moment and we're no longer creating memories. We're trying to create situations for us to create content. Mm -hmm. And that content for some reason is the expectation that we can try to that we'll get that will solve whatever internal issues that we might have. And again, that's that's a misappropriation of expectations because then you're continuing to chase. You'll always be chasing, chasing, yep. chasing, chasing. Yep. Um, when I when we when we get together, yes, we're going to take a selfie. Yes, we're probably <laughs> going to put something on on social media. Yeah, we're going to tag stuff. But that is not the 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 reason that we do it. There's yep. not an expectation of of uh, having to show to others that we did it. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know belie my age here just a little bit back in my day it used to be you would go to an event and like if it was a concert what did you do to show people you were there you bought a concert t-shirt yeah right yeah now it's i've got a i've got to post a picture i got to get a selfie of me i got to do all these particular video things clips. yeah yeah a video clip and and a long time ago um my wife and I, we, we made the decision that we were not going to live our lives through the lens of a camera, especially with our children. Sure. And that expectation um, is something that we've held on to is that we wanted to create memories, not necessarily, um, you know, a whole bunch of pictures. Do I miss having pictures of things? I really don't. You know, I, I've never once said, gosh, I wish I had a picture of that. I'm really glad we did those things. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm glad that we had that experience. I'm glad I had that. And, and kind of lowering those expectations and saying, what's important now is you and me. And what's important now is that I am here and I'm present for you. And I'm going to make that a hard stop. And if that happens the other way, that's even a bonus for me as well. And, and that's where my expectations are, are gonna end. Now, it's different. You and I have 30 years of history uh, with one another. Yep. And we are, we are able to, to, to revisit the expectations that we have with one another. Um, you could put this in the lens of baseball if you want, but I don't think I even want to right now. At, at this point, I am more connected to you and who you are now has nothing to do with sports. It's because you have made yourself available to me. Mm -hmm. And I feel I have made myself available to you. And that's not in any kind of weird way. It's just, that's how friendships work. Have we always gotten along? No, but for the most part, most we part, have. I'd say 99.9% .9 yeah. of the time. Yeah. Do, do we disagree on things? Absolutely, yeah. we disagree on things. There's certain topics you probably don't want us talking about at a at a, at a cocktail party between the two of us. You know, everybody will walk away. Um, correct, we'll be by ourselves. Um, but 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 I think I think when you lower your expectations. So let me let me put it to you this way. Um, there's there's this idea. I, I come more in the world of theology is kind of where my my. Uh, uh, expertises. And we have this idea of, of uh, the, the anthropology, you know, I have a low anthropology of people mm -hmm. is really what it comes down to. And what, what that means by is that I don't expect a lot out of people. 
You know, I, I'm not expecting others to meet my needs. I'm not expecting others to do amazing things. I have a low anthropology, mostly because I know human nature is not <laughs> wonderful. Mm. Uh, we, we just see that as, as you know, you, you start the top of, of your show, right? What in the world is going on? You know, you usually don't have three heartwarming stories, no. right? You know, because because human human nature is, is not great. So I I come into life. My expectation is have a low anthropology of people. And then I'm usually delighted and surprised by how amazing some people are. <laughs> and that's just how I go about it. You know, I'm not expecting uh, it, when I come up to Seattle next time, I'm not expecting you to roll out the red carpet. I'm not expecting you to to take me uh, to someplace I've never been. Sometimes it's just we're going to to Issaquah Coffee and we're just going to sit there, right? That's right. And we're going to spend all we're spend all day there, and that's great. I love it. That's right. Yeah, you know, I understand what you're coming from. I, for me, I think the focus for me is a, a little different. I think it's uh, for me in the sense of what I expect from people is um, kind of dependent on what level of commitments, quote unquote, I already have with them. Like, so you and I, thirty years of friendship. There are certain things that I don't necessarily expect from you, but we're committed to. We through a lot of action, more so than words that ever said so, staying connected, talking about various things to the point we don't even think about it. This is just our friendship, right? And if for whatever reason, either one of us started falling short, turning on the other or calling people out or something isn't right, I fully expect either of us to call the other person out on that, right? So like, hey, what's going on with you? Or hey, that seems, seems like something's wrong. The, the stranger I meet in the street, I don't have any of those commitments with, right? There's nothing right. built there. And so if, if, and so in all my, in all my relationships of various kinds, I keep asking myself, am I living up to whatever level of commitment or whatever decisions have been mutually made between me and this person? And with some people, you continue to grow those, right? Those are the people that you become closer to over time. Other people, you just, you, you, maybe you don't, right? So I don't know if it's, if it, for me, it's about low expectations or high expectations rather than just taking a look at myself and going, how well am I living up to where and moving towards the person I want to be and the type of friend I want to be in this case? Well, you know, it was a couple of weeks ago here on this show, you talked in this third segment, you talk about what's up with you and you're talking about revamping a website. You're talking Oof. about publishing. You're yeah. talking about all those, those things. And what was one of the first things I did to you? I said, so what are you going to do today? Right. You know, Exactly. I, I called you out on it. What are you, what are you <laughs> doing today yes, you to, to get the next thing done? Yep. Uh, part, of, part of it is because I love you and I care about you. Uh, part of it is, is I know you, you need those things sometimes. You need those, those external motivators to get the next thing done. And, mm -hmm. and um, I do that because of the relationship and the expectations that we have with one another. And I know you've done the same thing with me. What was it last week? We spent what an hour on the phone talking about publishing. About publishing, you know? yeah. The challenge. Yeah, because of... yeah, yeah, the challenging of publishing. I work in the nonprofit world and part of the nonprofit that I work at has a publishing house. And so I kind of know this world and to kind of give you a little insight into it. And and hopefully that was in, insightful for you and in, oh, instructive was. to you. Absolutely it was. You know, it's it's learning from people. It's exactly what I was hoping for, you know, putting stuff out last week about where I was at. You you always hope that some people who have that expertise will step in. That was a, a part of your newer gig that you're in now that I didn't realize you were a part of. And so it was a wonderful, a wonderful surprise and gift to get that conversation about some of the ins and outs and the vagaries and the, the unexpected challenges involved in publishing it was super helpful, as well as that accountability of what's the next step that you're going to take. Absolutely, it's required. And I'm sure we've done that. I mean, we had those conversations when 
when you were shifting careers twice, you know, we, we yep. had those conversations over the last 30 years. We had the same ones asking those same types of questions. And I think that's what I mean as far as that's the level of commitment and connection that we are dedicated to as friends. And it's important for me to keep showing up for those things. And obviously with the different people in our lives, sometimes those are going to ebb and flow, right? And then we have to keep asking ourselves each day, to what degree am I okay with it, tra- with the trajectory going that way, whatever it may be? And if I'm not, what am I willing to do on my side to, to step into that or to address that or to rectify that? You know, and it's, um, you're right, it goes well beyond uh, baseball, right, in that sense. But, um, but it, is, it is kind of a, 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 a nice space to sit in when you can see the applications of all these things, even in something as, in the big scheme of things, as mundane and insignificant as a shared interest in sports. Yeah, um, I think there's, there's something also to be said about guys uh, and mm. their friendships. Yeah. And, um, you know, masculinity is, has taken some hits and, and sometimes very rightly so. That those uh, that those happen, um, but to use sports as a way for guys to have deepened friendship, I think is a natural course mm-hmm. of things. So, you know, if if you're a guy and you like sports, uh, you know, and maybe you're kind of feeling a little bit lonely and don't have somebody to to kind of you know talk to that's outside of a of a significant other. Hey, invite a couple of your buddies to go to the Mariners game or or whatever or what what's the XFL team? The Sea Dragons. The Sea Dragons. Yeah, another Sea Dragons game this, uh, Dragons this game, season. Yes. There is, there is, there's actually um, a few more. But but I think that's a that's an opportunity to foster those friendships, and I think that's a good thing. I think it is too. I think it is. You know, Seth, you're not going to be surprised by this, but we are out of time. <laughs> Good grief. How can it happen so fast? I know, so fast. Uh, If you want to catch more about this, Seth knows a lot about sports. He's really interested in it. His podcast, Athletica Obscura, you can find anywhere uh, where you get your podcasts. And it's digging into some of the not-so-well-known stories or the forgotten stories in sports. It's absolutely fascinating stuff. He and his broadcast partner, Rich, do a fabulous job. So check that out when you get a chance. Seth, thanks for coming on, buddy. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be on your show anytime. Appreciate it. All right. And thank you to all of you out there. And uh, I got to do my weekly thank yous as always. Uh, Where do I start? This show is all about you. It's produced and distributed by Harvard Radio Seattle. Eric Ryder is my in-studio producer, editor, and mix master. The show is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids. Check them out at their newly revamped website, airside.org. And the original theme music uh, is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. Special thanks for contributing to this episode and all that went well for me this week has to go to Julia Cannell, Tawny and Dave Santabria, Bruce and Cindy Bullard, Daryl Sutherland, Dean Cameron, Ann Foster, Justin Park, Stacey Heller, Katie Beck, and Eric Crema. Thanks to you, Seth Mormon, for calling in for 30 years of brotherhood. And uh, again, make sure you check out the Athletica Obscura podcast. Thanks also to Cesar Garcia for procuring my opening day tickets. You are always well ahead of the game, and I appreciate you notifying me when those big games go on sale. Um, going to games with you and your son, Martin, are beyond enjoyable. And to you listeners, thank you. I couldn't do this for you without you. And finally, to send you off the rest of the week, let's end with this original haiku. The opening of any endeavor is not a map to its end. Chins up, everyone.